Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that normally follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell, and I'm the writer and interrogator of Matthew Farrell. Matthew Farrell is going to say hello right now. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking briefly about the episode, The Eufy Battery Doorbell, which dropped on March 10th, 2020. The reason I say briefly is because I think the topic of the Eufy Battery Doorbell is too big to actually be able to wrap this podcast around. There's too much to talk about, right, Matt? <laughs> it's, there's way too much to talk about. about I mean, we could go on for days and days. It, it's a doorbell. It's with a camera. It's a doorbell with a camera. <laughs> In conclusion, it's a battery doorbell with a camera. Yes. In all seriousness, I thought it was a uh, good review, and I did think it would be very helpful to people who are looking for that kind of technology for their homes and don't have the ability to hardwire. And I have so many memories of dad doing wiring in the various houses that we lived in when we were kids. Yeah. And it always involved punching a hole in a wall where there wasn't a hole before. Yeah. And then flashlights and yelling into the hole while somebody in the basement would yell back, no, I don't hear you. Yes, I hear you. And then dropping cabling through the wall and all of that effort and all of that work. And very often dad sweating and swearing at us. Yes. There was lots of swearing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. Good memories. Yes. Uh, so for people who want to avoid our dad sweating and swearing, we recommend the UV battery doorbell. Yes. Yes, we do. Very much so. So what we're going to be doing today is a podcast equivalent of an Ask Me Anything. Matthew invited people on his channel's Patreon subscription list to send him questions And we have those questions with us. Before we get into that, I think we wanted to briefly say, given the current COVID-19 response across the U.S. and across the world, we just wanted to send out our thoughts to everybody who's having to either self-quarantine or um, are dealing with the real implications of a disease which can impact people very severely with um, compromised immune systems. I know that in In our family, we have people who are potentially in danger if they uh, get exposed to it. So my thoughts go out to those people, and um, I hope everybody's being thoughtful and cautious and not giving into panic. This is a situation where we need to come together, and while socially isolating, um, we do need to support each other in the best ways that we can. And sometimes that's just by reaching out, just by asking if people are doing okay and providing support where we can. Yes. Yeah, stay, stay safe, be calm and be thoughtful. So Matt, you sent out a email to your Patreon supporters as well as the community page on my YouTube. Okay. So those are two ways. It, obviously, Patreon supporters, you appreciate their support and they do get special privileges uh, for supporting your channel but then you also have the community page which people gain access to the community page simply by subscribing to the channel i believe you don't even have to be a subscriber it's just every youtube channel has a community tab where the creators can post pictures comments questions polls and so sometimes i drop things in there as well and sometimes i also do twitter as well okay so we have some questions from some of your viewers and our listeners 
and we'll just jump off. These are in no particular order that I'm aware of. No. Unless you ranked them from least favorite person to most favorite person. I don't want to say anything. I'll, I'll remain quiet on that. Okay. So we'll start <laughs> off with potentially your least favorite person. <laughs> or favorite throw that per- out there. Or favorite person. Or favorite person. Maybe you started with the best. That's right. So that's either bad news or good news for Joel Ozen, who wrote in to say two things. He had two points. One, knowing that solar isn't the optimal solution for every home. What are some ways that homeowners can become more sustainable around the home? I'm thinking smart devices for HVAC and lighting, even gardening solutions. Yes. Uh, my at fully charged live, I, my, my talk I gave there was actually pretty much all about this. And I posted that on my channel. So if you haven't seen that, I'd recommend checking it out. But some of the things that you can do are like smart vents for your home. And I'm actually testing out smart vents right now. Uh, they're from a company called Keen. And you have one under each arm. I have one under each arm. Yes. I'm very cool and dry at the moment. <laughs> um, the, the Keen, the Keen smart vents are pretty cool. It's like you, they've not problem free. I've been having some quirks with them. I'm been trying to troubleshoot, but essentially you just link them into your smart house. And like I have an EKB thermostat. And so I have little thermostats in every room of the house, depending on what the temperatures are in different rooms, the vents will either close the dampers or open the dampers, you know, 50%, 25%. They'll do whatever's appropriate to try to keep the entire house um, equal. And we've had a huge problem with that in our house where the basement's really cold, the upstairs is really hot. And with these smart vents paired with my Ecobee, I've been finding that the house is pretty much within one degree of every room. So it's really actually worked surprisingly well. Unfortunately, that temperature is 33 degrees Fahrenheit. It's freezing in here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) I have had some problems with this specific brand uh, randomly dropping from my smart home. Uh, the batteries died in three weeks, which is supposed to last for two years. And I don't know what's going on with that. So it's like, I'm trying to troubleshoot what's going on with them, but when they are working, <laughs> did the batteries die in all of the devices all at the, the same, same time? time? I think okay. that I was going to say, if you had it happen in just one device, that would sound like a short, but no, it's, it's, I think what happened is, uh, I'm not using the official keen smart home hub. I'm linking them to my own Hubitat hub. And you think and it's I, keeping them active too much? Yeah, I think it may be pulling them too quickly and just ran down the batteries. So I'm trying to troubleshoot. It's an issue that I think I created on my own. So I'm trying to figure out what I did that caused that. But aside from that hiccup, it's they're doing exactly what I was hoping they would do. Do you set up patterns for the day? Like people don't use the basement during the day. Yes. So you don't have to worry about that. That can be closed off. And then in the evening when somebody's going to be down there watching TV... Uh, the temperature will come up Yep. later can, in the you, day. You can configure it any way you want, which is the coolest part. It's like I, I'm testing right now just the most basic setup, which is just keep the house equal. And it's just, and I'm seeing how that's going over the course of the next month. And then after that, I'll get a little more dialed in and say, okay, don't worry about the basement during these hours. You know, only worry about it if there's somebody down there. I'll start to go down that path in the future. But so far, just keeping the house equal, it's doing a surprisingly good job. And they also have built-in pressure sensors on each one of them. So that's one of the concerns with HVAC systems. You don't want to dampen off too many of them because you'll increase the pressure, which can actually damage your HVAC system. Right. And so they have built-in pressure sensors to make sure that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Um, Some of the other things that you can also do around your house are smart lights and smart outlets that you can then also tie into your smart home so that you can take advantage of like my 
thermostats from Ecobee, they also have motion sensors. So you can do things like if there's no motion in a room after an hour, turn off the lights in that room. You can link them into dehumidifiers and space heaters so that if a room is too cold, it will kick a space heater on. Or if the humidity is too high, it will kick the dehumidifier on. And by doing that, you're Use, you're going to be using those devices less than you would be if you were using just a straight-up timer or just doing it manually. So all of those things in combination can save you a significant amount of money and energy use. And like I said, I recommend going and watching my fully charged talk because I go into some pretty deep detail on some of those those points. The one last thing he did bring up was the gardening solutions in his question, which I haven't done a lot about this, but I do have something called the Eve Aqua, which is a smart... Um, water faucet that you just attach to your faucet on the outside of the house. You link it to your smart home and you can do things with automations with just timers during the day, during specific hours, running at specific times. But you might be also be able to link those into greater things where it's like, <laughs> if you want to get really crazy, you might be able to set stuff up where it's like, if it hasn't rained in a day or two days, kick it off for an hour in the morning. So it's like you can get very sophisticated with how you can make these smart faucets work. And the last part would be using drip irrigation instead of sprinklers, because sprinklers are actually really inefficient with the use of water. And drip irrigation uses far less water and still allows you to target specifically where in your garden that you want the water to go. Um, So that's something else to look at. Joel's second question is, do you foresee Tesla's solar roof becoming a better value? It currently has a 25-year warranty right now. Will it have a better value over a 50-year warranty architectural shingle that can have solar panels replaced to keep up with technology at any given time. The word that he used in there is value. And using that specifically, I would say right now, it actually is a better value today, not even in the future. It's like, because you have to think about what the cost is of installing a roof plus solar panels on top of it versus installing a Tesla solar roof, which when you equate that roof is going to be generating you power for those 25 plus years, it will have paid for itself. The value of having to replace your entire roof plus solar panels, it's actually already today a little more optimal to go the route of tesla solar roof today value wise but it also depends on where you live because if you don't have net metering and there's a whole bunch of factors at play it might be slightly different but i think at the end of the day the tesla solar roof already is a better value than a 50-year warranty plus a separate solar panel system and part of the reason for that is the idea that solar tiles are going to like solar panels are going to be better and better and better is true but the idea that you're going to want to replace them because something better comes along 10 years from now i think is not the right way to look at it because nobody that has solar panels today is going to chuck perfectly good solar panels because there's a slightly more efficient panel that hits the market in 10 years nobody's going to do that yeah it's like it's like i'm not going to buy the current iphone because they'll probably make a better iphone next year if you have a currently failing phone right. and you need to replace it, you replace it with what you want right now and it will probably sustain you past the next couple generations and then you replace it again. And the I would think, you know, I don't have experience with doing any of this to my home, but I would also think that other f- factors that would go into this would be, are you planning on staying in your home permanently or are you planning on possibly in the future selling and moving so that if 10 years from now you'd be selling Mm -hmm. the house anyway you're not even using up the entire 25 year warranty of the tesla and another factor would be if you were to say okay the value of 
the architectural tile and the replacing of the solar roof, the value of that does outpace the Tesla roof, let's say 10 years from now. Are you really going to wait 10 years and be burning the fuel efficiency? Exactly. I I say this all the time. Anybody that tells you solar is 100% worth it, absolutely get it, or solar is a scam, don't do it. You need to ignore the fringes. The truth is always somewhere in the middle because this is all a very subjective thing that's very different depending on where you live and what your current situation is with your specific home. And you have to evaluate it for yourself. But when I looked at the numbers of the Tesla solar roof compared to getting a high-end shingle plus solar, the Tesla solar roof comes out ahead already today. So you'll have to evaluate for yourself, but I think you don't have to wait for a future situation for that to happen. I think it's already here. Joel might also consider getting a water wheel, (laughs) (laughs) depending on where he lives. (laughs) D. Solomon writes, there's a podcast? I'll get right on that. (laughs) Well, D. Solomon, I hope you're listening and I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. So here's their question. Based on what you've seen from CES and elsewhere, what do you envision developing in home automation in the next five to 10 years? And if you don't have any idea, what would be on your wish list besides greater security? Oh, yeah, this is, I like this question a lot. It kind of ties into my biggest gripe about smart homes today is that smart homes are still super geeky and nerdy and they're still somewhat difficult to set up and there's some hassle around it. It's still not at the level where your average Joe would want to get into it because there's still a perception issue and there's still some usability issues around it. So for me, what I'd want to see, my wish list would be to see that get better. And part of the way that gets better is I actually did a video on this a while back about the new chip standard where all of the major smart home companies are teaming up and they're going to make a new standard that everybody's going to develop for. And what that means is it doesn't matter what you buy, as long as it's chip certified, they should all play nicely together. And that to me is kind of the holy grail. So in the next five to 10 years, I'm hoping if that pans out the way it should pan out, we'll have much more robust uh, ecosystem of products and you won't have to care as much as to what system, whether you're using Google, Apple, SmartThings, Hubitat, as long as it's chip, it'll all work and play nicely together and you can even switch platforms and it won't really matter. It's going to make the usability of this stuff so much better and easier to do. So it's going to bring more people into the fold. So that for me, that's my big wish list item. And then to tack onto that, I would say I would also love to see more privacy-first standards come into play. Because um, right now, a lot of devices, you hook under your Wi-Fi and they phone home to some kind of server somewhere in the world. I would much rather see more devices that only operate locally. You bring them home, you time in your Wi-Fi, or whatever other wireless service you need to, but they're basically just doing that to talk locally. And then your central service is the only thing that phones home out to the internet if it needs to. So it's like, I would much rather see privacy-centric, privacy-first, more control in your home, less data flowing out. It's like, that's what I would prefer to see more of. And part of the problem is that a lot of those companies are underwriting the cost by building something and selling it for a lower price because they are going to, on the back end, gather data. And that's how they're going to make the money. So in some cases, when you're looking at these products, I imagine you have to really question the product that says it's $99 and that's a good 50 bucks less than the other competitors. Yeah, you have to 
cheap doesn't always equate good. It can actually be you're you're paying for that in another yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> Even if careful. the product does work, you may not be yeah. coming out ahead in the long run. So we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, Sean Getting Coffee. So our next question is from Jamie Harvey. If Tesla's U.S. factories are shut down, possibly during a national emergency, how much international production do you think Tesla will be able to quickly ramp up out of the China factory to stop the bleeding, especially limited to only Model 3 production right now? This one is just, this to me is, it's difficult to answer, but the easy answer, the easy way to answer this would basically say there's no way they can. Uh, the China factory is still ramping up. You're talking about thousands of cars produced every month at most right now, where the Fremont factory is doing way more than that. So if the Fremont factory has to close down, there's no way the China factory can make up the demand of all of the cars. So I don't see this COVID-19 situation is there's no way around it. If a factory shuts down, you're going to see a huge hedge of production. There's no way. It's that case for, not only the manufacturing, but the shipping, you know, if, yep. if let's say your car is being manufactured now in China, how is it getting from China to the United States? How is it getting from where it lands in the United States to where you are? We don't yet know the long-term implications of a lot of these shutdowns. And if something like truck shipping becomes impossible because the you know it's possible that states might have to impose travel restrictions so that you don't have 18 wheelers going across the state so if that happens you're going to see possibly nationwide uh shipping issues and it could impact your car could be in california but if you're in virginia it's not going to get to you well there's also the side of it of it's not just their factory they get parts from other suppliers it's like if other suppliers are hit the Fremont factory may still be open, but they're they're not able to produce as many as they normally can because they're not getting all the parts they need. So it's there's <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot, there's a lot of, of factors. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts. It's very very complicated. And I think that's where, in a situation like this, uh, one of the greatest things that we can do to prove our humanity is to be patient and really just take the view of. I have to take a lot of deep breaths and just not expect what may have become a unseen normal for me. And I had that on a small scale. I, I received notification at the beginning of the week that uh, UPS had tried to deliver a package and it was something I ordered um, almost a week earlier. And so here the package was now finally being delivered and I happened to miss the the moment the UPS driver tried to deliver it. He left on the note that he was leaving it with a shipping center, which is literally a block away. So I walked over there. They didn't have the package. Oh, come back tomorrow. So I went back the next day. Oh, we still don't have it. The driver must still have it on his truck. So I go back the next day. We still don't have it. Call us. So now on Friday, I call. I completely ignored Thursday. I was just like, I'm just going to let the driver have time to get it there. So Friday, I call. No answer. I walk over there. There's a sign on the door of the shipping center. We will be closed for the next week due to the COVID-19 emergency. 
because the guy who owns the shop in the note said, I am protecting my employees because in a shop where you're shipping things, tons of people coming in and he didn't want to put his employees at risk. And I had that moment of, but that's my package. And I had to really kind of consciously take a deep breath and turn that off and think like, no, this is bigger than that package. This is not me getting upset. This is not worth me getting upset over. So small scale, big scale, that's going to be happening a lot for a while. Yeah. And to add on to that for specifically for Tesla, I know there's a lot of people that are concerned about the company because for a couple of years ago, if this had happened a couple of years ago, Tesla could have been in, yeah, they could have gone under. They're actually in very good financial situation right now. Their stock soared. They're, they've done another round of funding. It's like they're, they're doing just fine and they will weather through this yep. without an issue. And there are companies that won't. Yes. Yes. Sadly. Our next question comes from Sweden EV Guru, who I imagine may be in Sweden. And they might be an EV guru. They write, I want to get all possible battery technologies, silicon, anode, lithium, graphene, solid state, and pros and cons and timelines. The million dollar question. And then a big smiley face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with him. Because <laughs> all those things are going to unlock technologies that are kind of hard to imagine today. Um, it was I, I responded to him in that comment saying, stay tuned for my next video, which is actually going to be out at the time you're probably listening to this. It should be out. Um, it's all about solid state batteries. Where are they and when can we expect them? And the kind of the rule of thumb, I would say, whenever you're looking at these new kind of technologies, specifically to batteries, is always remember that the research you read about doesn't mean they're right around the corner, that it usually takes at least five years, if not a decade or more for them to become commercialized successfully. So when you hear some, read some paper that says new graphene battery discovered and blah, 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 it has this amazing battery life and it can mean cars that can go 5,000 million miles. Uh, that's not going to be for 15 years. <laughs> and they say that discovery, that means that somewhere there's a laboratory with perfect conditions with a team of scientists who are wrapped in full hazmat suits who are looking through a microscope and saying, yep, it's electricity. Exactly. So it's in a lab is very different from actually manufacturing commercially at mass scale and in real world environments in use. There's a huge difference and there's a huge leap. And that's why it takes so long to go from lab to commercial product. Um, you can look at commercial uh, commercialized products like television sets, like when OLED TVs or uh, panels were becoming a thing, we started to see them only in things like smartphones. And the reason for that was producing those panels uh, was incredibly, the, the yields, the number of six panels that had perfect pixels were really low. And so they could only guarantee perfect panels at very small sizes. And so they were only able to cut out panels about the size of phones, which is why you only saw it in phones when they first came out. And it took them, a, it took me years to master making panels that are 65 inches across. <laughs> really? Well, that's, <laughs> and so it's, of, you don't think about scale yeah. in that way. It's, it's all about yields and cost. So it's like, until they can get to a point where they've manufactured, they've done the manufacturing to the point where they get high yields and can actually drive the costs of the manufacturing down to make an actual viable product that's when it will happen. 
And so that's part of the reason why we're waiting so long on graphene batteries. That's why we're waiting so long on solid state is because they've discovered how to do it, but actually getting it to be able to manufacture yields that are cost efficient is very, very hard. <laughs> that actually ties into the next question that we have from Srinivasan, who wrote in, what is the future of lithium ion batteries? We all have to agree that it cannot be disposed and only some electrode materials can be recycled. Low specific energy and power, uh, limited discharging and charging current state rates, etc. I don't think India can afford fuel cell technology, at least for 10 years, which means that batteries will rule us for some years. Also speak about solid state batteries. That was his full comment. So yeah. uh, Srinivasan was was tying this in directly to the, the stuff you were talking about and in a and in a actually very concrete way in a different context, the Indian context, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, we spoke last week about um, how in Africa, there are nations that completely skipped over the wired uh, telecommunications stage because it served no point to them just build cell towers. And so Africa has a lot of wireless and cell technology as their infrastructure, as opposed to what we have here in the U S India is another context where you have such density of population and the sort of power supply needs that they have. And for it to be focused on lithium ion batteries, which are going to become a hazard as they break down and as they need to be disposed of. And people are not cautious enough in general anywhere about how they dispose of batteries that are not supposed to be just thrown in the garbage. So this becomes a, a burden on a country with that sort of population density and the types of technology that uh, this listener doesn't think that they're going to be able to move away from for 10 years. I would actually say, look at something like the lead acid battery that is used in all cars today. And this is not true necessarily 100% around the world, but at least in the United States, there are mandates that you have to recycle those batteries. You can't throw them in landfills. And so we have over 99% of those batteries are successfully recycled, and we're able to get about 99% of the materials back out of them. And so when you buy a lead-acid battery, about 80% of what's in that battery has been recycled. And the rest of it ends up going into things like... they use some of the the recycled parts for doing things like uh what was it they use some of it as powder in laundry detergents uh glass and textile manufacturing so it's like there are ways to recycle batteries and so i kind of challenge his first point which is that you can't do that but the answer is you actually can and there are companies that are actually doing that right now there's a company called american manganese that has processes that are ecologically friendly for recycling 99% of the cathodes from lithium ion batteries. And then you've got people like John B. Goodenough, who's the creator of the lithium ion battery. He's got a new discovery that's a glass solid state battery that eventually could become a biodegradable battery because it would be made out of sodium. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's kind of crazy stuff. It's in my next video. I talk about it. Uh, But he's got these discoveries where batteries eventually could become biodegradable. Or if they're made out of salt, edible. (laughs) Just sprinkle it over your food. (laughs) Well, this phone's dead. Crunch it up over my popcorn. Right. Right. So I, I guess what I would say to him is I totally see where he's coming from. And I agree there's a huge challenge here. But there's more than one way to skin a cat. And things like 
flow cell batteries and things like uh, fuel cells are going to be becoming commonplace over the next decade. They may not be commonplace in, in things like EVs, but they'll be commonplace for powering our grid infrastructure. Right. Uh, and then for our electronics, we're going to end up with solid state batteries that are fully recyclable with closed loop recycling, which means you have to, you don't have to mine as much materials for new right. stuff. And it's just like you recycle it and it goes right back into making a brand new battery that works as good as the original one. Uh, that is absolutely possible. And American manganese is actually proving it's possible today with test plants. So it's, it's not anything that's going to be available next year, but you can imagine five years from now, 10 years from now, we are going to have, just like the lead acid batteries, we're going to have full recycling around this stuff, as well as solid state batteries by that point with potentially sodium solid state batteries that you can just like almost put in a compost heap potentially. That's <laughs> that's <laughs> when really they're done. Up. So it's like, right. So if you, if you, if you go out, even out like 15, 20 years, I think this is going to be a moot point. It's like, it, it, it won't matter because we will have systems that will have grown up around all of this with new chemistries and new processes that mean none of this goes into landfills. It's going to be completely renewable and sustainable going f- into the future. So I don't think we need to think about, is it fuel cell or is it not fuel cell? It's more like we're going to end up with things in 15, 20 years that are going to kind of just, it's hard to imagine where it's going to be. It's, it's crazy the potential we have in front of us. That's pretty remarkable. It's kind of hard to wrap my head around the idea of a salt-based battery. The most, uh, one of the most abundant things on the planet. Right. <laughs> From right. the ocean, you can get as much sodium as you want. And we can use that to create uh, batteries. Yeah. It's just astounding if we can if we can delicious, actually tap delicious into that. power. Yeah, you you want to lick every battery you. Sell. I already do. <laughs> you yeah. like the way it tingles when you. <laughs> Not to brag or anything, but <laughs> who that guy? What's he doing in my garage? Is he licking that battery? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> my tongue is numb. It's a habit. (laughs) So those are the questions we had and let us know what you think. Do you have any of your own responses to those questions? Or do you also want to weigh in on whether or not you enjoy these kinds of podcast episodes where we uh, take in questions from you, the listeners, you can reach out to us on Twitter at still TBD FM. You can reach me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach Matt at, at Matt Farrell and at Undecided MF. Be sure to watch the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. You can find us at stilltbd.fm and you can subscribe and find us at all the major podcast locations, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Please give us a rating, give us a review, share us with your friends because it really helps the podcast. The podcast helps the channel channel helps Matthew and Matthew helps me. Stay safe, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time.